Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Business Aspirin. I'm your host, Clint Janelle, and today I have with me Micah. Micah is the owner and in charge of Restoration One of West Denver. Micah, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Great to have you on, and thank you for being here. I know that I had to reschedule on you once, and I'm grateful that you came back and are willing to spend this time with me. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Micah, talk to me about Micah Jefferson and talk to me about Restoration One of West Denver and talk to me about how you got in the space. Just give us the history so everybody gets a feel for who you are and okay. where things came from. Yeah, my name is Micah Jefferson. I originally am from, I grew up an army brat, so we moved around quite a bit and we settled in Maryland when I was a little younger and I went to college at the University of Maryland. Right about my junior year, uh, we went out to a, I finally went out to a ski resort and that's when I really first started skiing and I fell in love with it. So our, my senior year of college, I decided, hey, you know what? I want to get out of Maryland. Traffic sucks. It's crazy. Let's get out of here. So started to look around. The, that was the year Denver held the All-Star Game. And I was like, that's where I want to go. A buddy of mine moved out here after college, which I hate to say was back in 1998. And I've been here ever since. Um, I spent the majority of my time here in the uh, IT field, IT and operations. I worked for a uh, telecommunications company nearby. And around 2017, I started hitting the midlife crisis um, and decided I, I was done. I've been working 70, 80 hours a week for a long time. My kids were at an age where I wasn't seeing them nearly as much as I wanted to. My office was not close to our house. It was about an hour away. And that was the point I just you know, reached out to my mom. She suggested a entrepreneurial coach. I met with, with her and did a disc profile and she started suggesting a bunch of different businesses and they were all IT businesses. And I told her, I'm like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I don't want to be in IT anymore. I don't want to, I want to do something different. She went back to the drawing board and pitched a couple other franchises, including Restoration One. And that I really started to hone in on that one. I like the, there's some engineering challenges in it. There's some um, emergency challenges in that. I was a volunteer firefighter in our community for many years. I always liked being involved in emergencies. There's that aspect about that. So I decided to move forward. So 2018, I signed the paperwork and told my boss at the time, she asked, hey, are you ready for another year? And I, I told her, no, I'm not. I'm done. And she said, do you want to lay me off? Do you want me to lay you off? And I'm like, God, yeah, please. So she waited three months and she finally laid me off. And that's when I started Restoration One was about August of 18. And it's been a hell of a ride. We've, we've done very well. We're up to 35 employees and we won Franchise of the Year last year. And it's been awesome. It's, it has not been without its challenges. Sure. Um, but we're finally getting to a point where I can focus on what I need to focus on. I don't have to wear um, all the hats you have to wear as you first start a business. So you get to work 
on the business and not in the business anymore, which is yes. a great place yes, sir. Love it. I love yeah. it. At one point when I was coming out of high school, so roughly the same time you were, sounds like, I was you know, on a trajectory to wind up in Colorado playing baseball. And I would contend I'd probably still be waiting tables somewhere, not bathing a whole lot and skiing a lot. So I don't know whether it's good or bad. I didn't wind up there, but I love that market. I love being in in Colorado and, and in the mountains. And my my favorite place, honestly, is Telluride, but Summit County spectacular. And and I really enjoy being in the mountains and skiing. I was with a buddy just recently that did the Leadville Trail 100 run. Nice. And okay. so went up there and supported him. And so just being up, getting the, it's different, man. It's pretty majestic, right? And, and, and I wonder if, I would lose sight of how spectacular it was if I was there daily. But man, when I'm there now, coming out of Texas, it's so great to be in the Colorado market. So I'm going to just be jealous every time I think of you and what you get to see. But it's okay, though. I'm not mad at you. I'm just jealous. That's all. We can still be friends. Always. Yes. It's, it's an interesting story, right? Just getting into it and being led into, I need to do something different and finding someone to help hold your hand through what's the making the decisions and even having to fight some of those decisions off because they wanted to take you in the wrong course. Would you say that you made the right decision making this move into restoration and into restoration law? Yeah, I have no doubt we made the right decision. My wife and I, we prayed on it quite a bit. We we thought really hard about it. My wife was initially not very supportive. We're talking about a good corporate job with a good salary, with good insurance and leaving that for what's a gamble. But at the end of the day, it's been, it's been a great experience. My wife now works with me and that's completely changed our dynamic. We're much better friends and have a stronger marriage because of that. I, a lot of folks ask, how can you work with your wife? What's wonderful? Opposites attract. And what I'm not, what I'm good at she not may not necessarily be be as as good at it. and there's a lot of faults that I have. Um, I'm not organized. I don't like accounting. Um, that she's wonderful at, and she can help you know build up those uh, divisions. So it's been a great partnership um, in growing the company. It's been great for us in our marriage. It's been really good for our children to see what it is like to really own a business and what it's like to really work hard. I don't think they really saw that when we were in our corporate jobs. I think they just saw People that came home that were a little frustrated, angry all the time, but we made really good money. We never had to really struggle um, starting a business. You, you have to struggle. Absolutely. So initially, it's a lot more restrictive, right? Because yeah. now the phone rings at 6 p.m. on Friday when you're fixing to go to dinner and guess who has to go to work? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And we so in the- that's a tough thing to, how old were the kids when all this kicked off? Our kids, so 2018, our kids were 11 and nine when this whole thing started. So they've so, grown in and through it. And now it's just part of what life is. Arms, yep. they, they were able to watch a transition. Have you ever asked them in conversation how they felt about all of that? Have you ever had any conversation <laughs> about what was it like? Was there any stress? Was it hard on them? Has that been something you guys ventured into? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've, you know, I talk quite a bit to both our kids about it. The first year of business, we rented out our basement. We were concerned about making the mortgage. Sure. So we actually rented our business the first two years, actually, um, including through COVID. And our kids, (laughs) our kids were frustrated. They're like, hey, I used to be able to use the basement to go play video games. What's going on? Hey, sorry, somebody's renting it. Why? Because 
we're starting a business and money's tight. They had never experienced that. We never had money issues beforehand. They really started to learn the value of a dollar, the value of hard work. My son, they're both, they both made very clear that they're proud of us and they see the difference in both of us since we started this. My wife now has, my wife used to travel full time. She can now spend a lot more time with them. I can leave work at noon and go watch my son's baseball game. His, their high school is close by. They've definitely noticed it. They definitely saw the struggles at the beginning, um, especially through COVID. We had to work from our house for a long time when we had a roommate. And I think they really appreciate what we've done. And we're finally at a point where we can see some of the rewards. We can go on more vacations than we used to be able to the first couple of years and do more things with them. It's so freeing when you get to that point where like all the restriction, all the stress of 35 families that are dependent upon you now to eat. Uh, when you get to the point where you don't have to be quite as anxious about that and you can focus on other things and you can move forward. It's still, for me, I, I live in that space where I'm worried that anytime it gets slow for a week or whatever, then there's a little bit of, oh my God, okay, where are we at? What's happening? Is there some new trend? That's just the way I operate. I mean, you may be the same way. You may not be the same way, but it's okay. We've got all these people that are dependent upon me doing my job to ensure that in fact, they get to eat and they don't recognize that I have to do my job for them to get to eat. But if I don't, they will certainly know. They're, they're going to know it. Yeah. yeah. It was, in the beginning, I spent a lot of time. If we had, we had a slow week, I was a nervous wreck. It was very stressful. Now, when we have a couple of slow weeks, hey, that's an opportunity for us to do a lot of things, a lot of training, a lot of cleaning that we wouldn't have the opportunity to do elsewise. So we do, we spend those slow times making sure all the trucks are clean, the equipment's clean, the warehouse is clean, the training on different items. It doesn't stress me out as much as it used to because I know we have a good business model. We have good sales teams. The business will come. It's just maybe a time of year or something that's slowing down business for a period of time. Yeah, sure. But if you got the systems in place to address all that, you'll be all right. You'll yeah, navigate. Exactly. What, is, what was the hardest thing you had to endure in opening your business? There's two things. I'm a natural introvert. Um, talking to clients and convincing clients to go with us, that, that was really tough for me, but I ended up becoming a skill that I didn't realize I had. The other item was, oh, geez, I already forgot it. <laughs> Not taking things so personally. I really struggled with in the beginning when a client wasn't happy with our service. I mean, it, it would keep me up at night. I'd worry about a one-star review or things like that. What I've found is there's no way to please everyone. There's absolutely no way. There are going to be people that are not happy with uh, your service. All you can do is do your best, try and address their complaints, and hopefully come to a solution where everybody benefits in the end. But there's just some people we're, not, we're never going to make happy and listening to your intuition when you go into somebody's house and say, this is really a client we want. That's one of the things I've learned is sometimes you walk into a house yeah. and you yeah. just feel that this is not a job we want. And I've learned on more than one occasion, I'll take the job and I'll look back on it two weeks later. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. We should not have taken that job. And I tell our PMs, our managers, if you got if you have a feeling about it, maybe it's not the right job and let's talk about it. Yeah. And that that's a hard lesson to learn on both ends, right? Taking it, 
creates all kinds of problems that you have to mm-hmm. navigate and fight through. And then, because what happens is sales guys want you to make sure you're taking this job because they're going to get the commission based off the fact yeah. you take this job. And you're like, this is only going to be a problem. This yep. customer is going to be a problem. But when you're early into it, every job seems like you need to have it. You have to have it. Yep. Uh, and so you take them because, okay, we're new. And then, but what I've discovered now is I would much rather not have a job that I don't get paid for or have to have a fight about than have the job and do the job and still not get paid for it and have to have a fight about it. So those jobs become a time suck. They They suck so much. They suck the time and the life out of you and they distract you from the other 30 jobs you have in progress for one client. And it's just not, it's not worth it at the end of the day. It's not worth your time. It's not worth the headaches, et cetera. I love hearing you say that because that's one of the things that people really need to hear if they're looking at becoming an entrepreneur or doing something where they can build a business is you can't please everybody and not all jobs are good jobs. Yeah, I know you want that job, but man, if it feels weird in your gut when you get there, man, you got to take a run from that because it's going to be a problem. That's the reason you feel like it's going to be a problem. So don't think that you're so spectacular that you're going to make it work and make it great and everybody's going to love it because you might be able to still make it okay, but at the expense of everything else you should be doing because you're spending all this energy on this one problem. I had a guy tell me one time that was a flooring vendor for us and we had a client that was a little bit difficult and needed some help getting some stuff done. He's And he told me, and I'm like, I remember this and kudos to him for doing it. He's Look, man, I'm not interested in making somebody else's problem my problem because this one is a problem and I'm not interested in making that problem my problem. And I'm like, that's fair. I get it. And I love that concept. I think that's a great perspective that you have. And I I appreciate you stating it, right? And being willing to say that out loud um, on a podcast because a lot of people need to hear it. Um, Trust your instincts. That's the biggest thing I've heard. And I, I like how you phrased it there is, Sometimes you can overcome and win that customer over and met, properly manage that customer. It's going to be at the expense of so much, right? so many other things. And it typically is just not worth it. Yeah. I've learned that lesson. I don't know that all my people have fully learned that lesson <laughs> still because they don't like, there's still some that we're like, okay, man, you go ahead. I'm going to tell you how this is going to go. And then after this one goes that way, Let's have another conversation about how we address these in the future. And I let some of my guys stumble across that. And it's just, you have to, you can't tell them. So if you guys are listening to the podcast right now, please hear us both telling you from the same perspective, don't do it. Just listen to us telling you instead of having to experience it yourself, because you don't want to experience it yourself, but I get it. Let's talk about on the restoration side. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about customers and let's talk about, what are some misconceptions that homeowners or property managers or whatever have in regard to what you do and how it should go um, and, and what your job really is? What are some things that you've experienced? I think a couple of things I, I see is the, our industry is really good at scaring people, scaring people to believe that if we don't come out and get taken care of right away and get it dried within two or three days, they're going to have a huge mold problem. Mold doesn't grow that quickly. And I think there's sometimes you have to really talk clients and lemmers, help them understand that, hey, you have a cat one loss, it's clean water. We're going to dry everything properly. You're not going to have a mold issue. I, I, that's a big one that 
Our industry has really done a great job of scaring people. Sometimes you almost have to unwind that a little bit with someone so they understand that we know what we're doing. We're going to we're going to try it in time and you're not going to have that sort of issue. Some of, you were asking about lessons learned, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to make sure I the question. You're fine. Yeah, I think some of the other lessons learned is or along the way is really setting the expectation with the client on how long the project's going to take. Mitigation gets done so quick. We go in there, we dry things out. Clients love us. They're happy. And then they're like, okay, rebuild's going to happen that quick, right? You're going to have it done in a week. And it's not really educating the client. That part of the process is going to take a lot longer. There's a schedule associated with that. It's not an emergency service. There's uh, approvals. There's getting materials. There's getting the right uh, subcontractors that can do things. I think a big lesson, a big thing we really try to educate our clients on is mitigation phase is going to go by really quick. You're going to, we're going to be done pretty quick. Everything's going to be dry. You're going to have four foot flood cuts or missing a kitchen or a bathroom for, for a period of time and make sure you set your expectations, your life around it, because that bathroom or that kitchen may not be back and functioning for six months. I think that's one of the big things is really making clients understand that just because we go out there and we fix the water issue in a week or so, the rest of the project's going to take a while. And and, that, and that's hard for people to hear, but I think we do a pretty good job about that. Some other misconceptions, it's it, trying to think of something. I can't really think of some offhand right now. No, you're fine. So like um, yeah. that one that you brought up is great. And it's, I think it goes to how you onboard your client up front is significant in helping them understand this is how this works, man. There's going to be a flurry of activity. I'm going to have a whole team here doing a lot of things really quickly with constant interaction with you for the first three or four days, potentially. And so there's this activity that's going to happen, but then the brakes are going to pump because I got to wait on the insurance company to know what happened on the mitigation side to be completed to dry you correctly and what's going to have to be put together. And it's going to take this many days to get them on site and get the scope created and get a check from your mortgage company and all those things. I think it's great for you to say that because the reality is that's one of the things that guys really need to hear, whether it's restoration or whether it's you're an HVAC company or a plumbing company, or you're going to do automotive repair. I don't think that really matters. It's onboard your client to set expectations up front correctly makes a huge difference in the process of the pro the project overall. And so you tell them what's going to happen. You explain to them what the next step is going to look like. And then when those things are happening, they're like, oh, you know what? I think Micah knew what he was talking about because what's happening is what he told me was going to happen. And it's going exactly that way. And I think that's great. Like when one of the jokes that we have, are you going to have this done by Christmas? Yes. Just <laughs> not this Christmas, but it will be done by Christmas. So it's just unfortunate that people seem to believe that all this takes no time, but everything that they do in their world, they recognize is now slower and harder to deal with and supplies don't exist here. And I can't get this product and whatever the case may be, but man, in regard to their house, they expect it to happen quick. And it's just unfortunate. So save a lot of pain for everybody. If you are just truthful with them up front on expectations. Yeah, it's funny. You you talk about another lesson learned. You just touched on something there is don't commit to a schedule before the project even begins. We have had sales guys say, oh, yeah, you need that done by November. Yeah, it's mid-October. We'll have that all built back by then. We'll have it done. We'll have it back by Thanksgiving. Don't ever commit to, to timelines till you really understand them because we have 
we've done that and it, <laughs> those never turn out well as well. In terms of onboarding, 100% agree. We've we spent a good six months creating a client handout where we really go over each aspect of the job, what's going to happen, what the timelines are going to be, what the expectation is of the client, making sure they understand, hey, here's what we're going to need for you. This is not, we need your help working with your insurance. They're, you're their client. They're the one, you are the one they're going to listen to. Here's things we need from you in order to get things done quicker and get approved quicker. So we really try and set that expectation. Again, when you're dealing with somebody that has doesn't have any doesn't have a kitchen or doesn't have a bathroom and they have two bathrooms in their house and five kids. Still tough. You can set expectations up yeah. front, but they're still going to get, their yeah. patience is going to run out. And that's a point too. Uh, the reality is people only hear what they want to hear, regardless yeah. of what you tell them. So that's one of the things you're going to run into is you're going to tell them exactly what is supposed to take place. They didn't really hear it that way. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because I, I teach my guys on a regular basis. If you're going to, give timeframes, make sure they're accurate. Don't say, hey, Tuesday afternoon, we're going to get this thing done and not get that thing done. You could say, hey, we'll have it done by the middle of the week. If you're going to get it done Tuesday, then suddenly you're a hero. But if you told them Tuesday and you got it done Wednesday, you're a bum. But if you told them, hey, we'll get it done by the middle of the week and you still got it done Wednesday, you're still a hero. So be careful what you say, because that's going to lead to confidence in the customer in regard to your ability to accomplish your task. And I think that's great. Hearing you say that is, is pretty great. What's something, Micah, you wish you knew before you started the now? Um, watch your books. Make sure you're on top of your books. Make sure whoever's in your books it knows what they're doing. We learned this lesson a couple times the hard way. And around two years into it, we had to have a CPA come in and redo the first two years of our books that cost us about $15,000. We had a office manager when we weren't paying attention to our books, she was paying the rent with our company credit card. I, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is make, make sure whoever's working your books, whoever's inputting accounts payable, accounts receivable knows what they're doing and just isn't the person that's going to click on every suggestion that QuickBooks says, hey, we can match this. Great. Match. That's one of the hardest lessons we learned is finding people that actually know what they're doing from a QuickBooks, from an accounting perspective, so that your books can be pretty solid. And we spent Fair. a lot of time unwinding our first two years of financials. Fair. And then the other lesson I've learned is, <sighs> same with clients. If you have an instinct about someone that you're interviewing, go with that instinct. We've hired people that, again, we something felt off and sure enough, there was something was off. Find that, find the eight players, even if it takes a while, don't just grab that first person that applies for a job and you're desperate and you, you just grab them. Make sure you're finding the eight players, spend some time, call references. The biggest lesson I've learned is call references. You will find a ton of information about people if you uh, call their references. Uh, too many people depend on you not calling them. If they can't provide them, there's a reason. Yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of ways to navigate hiring too. And there are tools out there to help you understand how that person's wired even beforehand. Yeah. I don't know if you use any of that stuff or not, but I agree because it's really difficult once you put someone on the bus to get them off the bus and fix whatever problems they've created, uh, where it's a whole lot easier to endure the pain for a little bit to find the right person and have someone that fits your culture, that's capable of doing the job that you need them to do. 
it's a much better process if you can endure it. And because like, it's hard to like, you have somebody that can perform and they're a cancer to your culture. It's like, you got to get rid of them. Sometimes it's hard because they're performing, but it's dragging the rest of your team down and you got to watch and navigate all that. It's hard, man. I get it. I understand that. Take the time to find the right person. And that's a beautiful statement because it's well worth it. One of the things I found is to your point, what you just said about having a cancer. Every time I've had a cancer, it's been, gosh, let that person go. Here's what's going to happen. All these bad things are going to happen and we're, we're going to lose more people. We always make the story up of what's going to happen if we let someone go. That's cancer way worse than what's actually going to happen. Nine times out of 10, we find that the next day we're coming in. Everybody else is, oh, thank God you let that person yeah, go. It's exactly. Man, they were making my life miserable. And that, that's what I found is if you have a cancer, get, get rid of it sooner. Don't let it sit there because you know what? You're not the only one that notices it and you're not the only one that notices that what they get away with. And that's a perception of your leadership um, when you let people be like that. Yeah. So, And that's not, I, I'm guilty. I've been there. Obviously you've mm-hmm. been through that. And the number of people I've had on the podcast that have had this same kind of conversation, the reality is it's going to suck. Either way, it's going to suck. Keeping this person is going to suck for the next few years or getting rid of them is going to suck for the next 36 hours. You're going to have to navigate some things, deal with the kind of the repercussions of them being gone and what you keep things slipping through the cracks, but your team's going to appreciate it and you're going to be better for it. Uh, At the end of the day, you're going to have a benefit and growth as a result of that. I think that's perfect. What's the mistake? Go ahead. Rip the bandaid. Just rip it off. Get it off there. Let's go. What is a mistake that people make or you have made that's hard to fix? Or what's the hardest thing you've messed up that you had to fix? Uh, And how'd you fix it? (laughs) There's so many things I can go back on that one. I think the hardest thing is, and even I tell our salespeople set expectations correctly, is over-promising. I've done that. I've done that on many occasions. I tell everybody... Don't overpromise, and I'll go out to a visit with a client. And I'll, I'll do the exact same thing. I'll overpromise, making sure you don't overpromise, and to get out. When I do overpromise, it, it's a burden to my team because then they have to get out something that I created. So we have a policy now where where Mike is not allowed to visit with clients or be the first on site because when Micah does, those projects can really go south. I think part of it is really learning that trust your teams, let them do what you've hired them to do and work on the business. When I've become involved in jobs, we had the Marshall fire here a few years ago, large number of homes burned up. We ended up getting a massive amount of work with that. I got involved in every one of them. Set our business back about six months uh, because I was involved in every one of them for about four months and every other aspect of our business started to slide. So that's what I've really learned over the years is I can't get involved in the day-to-day because when I do, First, it's hard to extricate myself. That takes time. And the business, and we will see a business impact as a result. Yeah. Um, I, I think the big thing I've learned is I don't care how tempted I am. I don't care how big the job is. If, it, if it's a $500,000 million dollar job, if I stay out of it, if I let the people that I've hired and trusted to do their job, that's going to lead to a better result. Yeah, maybe I can go over there and sell it. But you want, I'm going to probably overpromise. Probably going to say something I shouldn't have said to try and get the job. And then my teams have to deal with that. And that's really sends a poor message to them. Yeah. And it's tough, man. That's a tough thing 
because everybody wants to make sure you get the job. And this is a great job. I want to get it. Yeah. And there's a natural tendency in us to want to make whatever promise it's going to take to secure the job. And sometimes people don't really want to hear what we think they want to hear. They want to hear what's right and the truth, but we're delivering that information because it seems like that's an easy way to get them to sign the contract. And you're right. Then you become the bottleneck because you've created this promise that really isn't inside your normal method of operation in your wheelhouse. And I get it. Like I've done it. I know how it goes. And then I, what I happened for me was I recognized that I had some sales guys that were making these promises. There's no way we could fulfill because they wanted to get these jobs and get these commissions. And I'm like, mm, okay, I see it now. We have to stop this. And we try to do a very good job of stopping that. Now, again, that still goes back to people hear what they want to hear. So I get it. It's tough to navigate all that. And what's the best decision you think you've made in business? What would you suggest people do that you've done? Like, look, this is a great decision. For me, honestly, and just all truthfulness, it's been bringing my wife into the business. She is, and I, I've talked to a couple other restoration ones where they're considering getting their wife more involved and stuff like that. And it's not for everyone. It really, it definitely tests your marriage, but she's really, she understands what my job needs to be, what I need to do. And she understands what she needs to do. And I know I can tell her what I need from her and she'll get it done. And she will tell me straight when I'm getting too involved with things, when I'm not doing what I need to be doing, she will 100% be awesome. very honest and open with me and let me know that. And it's a it's a great uh, partnership. Not everybody has that option, but I would, to that point, I would say really find someone you can trust to help work on the business with you that that has a lot of the, some of your weaknesses, There, there's positives in that aspect. We recently hired a general manager who he believes in SOPs and processes and making sure they're all documented. Hey, I believe in that 100%. Am I good at making sure that's done? No, not at all. And that's what he's done for us over the past six months and making sure that everything we do from how we answer the phone to how we clean vehicles and stock vehicles is documented. That's the other thing I want to say is make sure from the very beginning, anything you do is documented. You have a documented procedure because once you're four or five years in, going back and doing all that at one time, man, that's tough. Yeah. It's, It's hard. Yeah. Exactly. And we've had that conversation with a lot of the guys that are like, when would you suggest that we take this step? And it's as soon as you possibly can. You realize it's a thing and I get it. There's not many of you and you got a lot of things to do and you have a lot of things to happen. But as that continues to grow, you're still going to be there and you're still not going to have your processes established. And I get it, man. It's There's a lot of guys that have made that same comment. And I think our guys that listen to this, and we've had a lot of listeners need to hear don't wait on those things that need to be done. Get them done because that's going to make your life better long-term. It's going to make you more money. It's going to make you easy, things easier and better. At the same time, I appreciate you saying, hey, bring your wife into this business. In my case, my wife is involved and that helps quite a bit. There are a lot of you out there. You cannot do that, <laughs> right? It's not going to be the same thing. And we're Mike and I are very fortunate that we can do this and, and our brides can be involved and can be a benefit and can be helpful and navigate some of these things because I'm like you. Like, I want to be entrepreneurial. I don't want to be caught in the details of minutia. I can be, and I can do it, but I don't want to do it because then if I have to do that 
takes a lot of reset for me to get back to what I need to be doing. It sounds like that's the same with you. Like you need to be able to be doing what you're good at to be successful and not chasing down the minutia and details. And there are people that actually enjoy doing that. I don't know why, but weird. So let them do it, right? Let's get them in there. Let's get them going. Okay. Man, I, that's, this has been great, man. I, I appreciate the insight. I appreciate the thoughts. I want to be, you know, aware of the time we're, we're past the 30 minutes that we talked about initially. So I'm going to give you the floor and Hey, is there any last thing that, that you think you want to say to someone that's looking to kick off and jump in that we haven't already talked about? Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And then create a plan, have a plan where you can work on the business. I see a lot of owners that start, start off being the technician and they get into that pattern and it's hard to get out of. It's so hard to get out of and start really being a business owner and working on the business. The sooner you do that into the business, the better off your business is going to be, you know, I did a day in the life with a Restoration One owner before I bought the franchise. And this individual was a person that went out on all the calls, answered all the calls, went out, carried the equipment around. I, I went home, told my wife, I'm like, what I've just learned today, I learned exactly what I'm not going to do when I open this business. I'm not going to do that. And I swore, you know, I wasn't going to be on the truck, putting equipment on jobs and things like that from day one. Hey. When we get a big surge, when we have big jobs come in, I'll be the first person to run out there and grab equipment and help set it up. But I don't want to be there every day doing that. And fortunately, I've, we've gotten the staff, we've gotten the technicians, we've gotten the people that can do that so that I can sit here and have interviews with great people like you and focus on growing our business. Yeah, well, I think that's beautiful, man. And I love it. I love it. Micah, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thank a you. Great conversation. A lot of good insight. For all of you listening, when you get a chance, write down some of these things that he talked about. Take some notes on what he's saying and implement these things. And, and if you need anything from me, I'm here. Let me know. Micah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, Follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.